We have all had painful events in our lives that can lead to depression, anxiety, addiction, or broken relationships. But here's a secret. It is not about what happened to us that causes suffering. It's the stories we believe about ourselves. Join us as we shine light on how to rewrite our stories, avoid the shadows of shame, and travel along the pathway to joy, love, and connection. It's the Finding Peace Podcast with your host, Amazon best-selling author, Troy L. Love. Welcome to this episode of the Finding Peace Podcast. Today's guest is Stephanie James, who is a fellow social worker, psychotherapist, presenter, transformational coach, author, filmmaker, radio show and podcast host, and so much more. She has experienced what it means to live fully lit up and fully alive. She's gathered wisdom from some of the most amazing minds and serving hearts on the planet, and she's synthesized their wisdom with her own knowledge and experience in order to help amazing individuals just like you expand their vision of themselves and ignite their purpose. That is part of the reason why I invited her to come on to the Finding Peace podcast, because we both believe that when we live at our greatest versions of ourselves, we illuminate the way for others to do the same. The unique light that is you was meant to shine brightly in this world. And I am so excited to let Stephanie's light shine on this episode of the Finding Peace podcast. So please join me in welcoming Stephanie. Well, hello. Welcome. Well, hey, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Tell me a little bit about you. I, I saw the preview of the, the movie that you made and then I wanted to go watch the movie, but I didn't figure out how to figure out how to go watch the movie itself, but it looked really amazing. Thank you. Thank you. It's actually, it's premiering on Plex Network, which you can download for free. Wow. Was that something you did or were you invited to be, you did that? I did. You have some, I did. you got, you had amazing people. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It it was really phenomenal. I think one of the things that was just, just have had this constant like miracle things happening in the last five years. And this was one of them where literally I, I came out of a meditation And I talk about it at the beginning of the film. And I just was like, oh, my God, you know, because of my own podcast, I was like, I know some of the most brilliant minds and serving hearts on the planet. What if we came together and did this event that was very different than just having people show up and present and then leave the stage? And so all the presenters came two days ahead of time. Jacob Lieberman came four days ahead of time and we just hung out for a couple of days, but it was just awesome. Everybody came. No, there were no egos there. Everybody was like people that get paid tens of thousands of dollars or like, no, we're just coming. We believe in this. And so we literally, we just hung out. We, we danced together. I had a live band one night and we ate together, meditated together, made music together. And then we had this discussion, like you saw in the trailer, this lights of the round table. And I I interviewed everyone separately, but then we did this really cool, like just talking about the big questions and COVID wasn't even going on then, but it was all about resiliency. How do you stay with the long view? You know, how do you cultivate resiliency? What is real love about? I mean, it was just, 
and and it really is about like these difficult times we face, right? And these challenges and how those become, like I said in the thing, you know, the match point that ignites something within us that then become our gift to the world. And so this came out of it, like all this amazing alchemy that was created from those two days together, everybody stayed and held space in the event. And to this day, we're all like, we, we just formed incredible bonds. We're all really close. We, we call ourselves the Sparks. <laughs> we still all talk all the time. And, but it's it's been an awesome, yeah, an awesome journey. That sounds amazing. And I can just see the light and the joy in your face as you describe that. That must have been such uh, fulfillment for you to watch that come to fruition and now to have it actually coming out. Yeah, I mean, it really has been huge. Um, I had never also written or edited a film before. And so like literally it's all, it was all divine download and Doug Beachwood, who's Terra Media, my, my co-producer, it was COVID time then. And he and I would just get on a Zoom call and he would put the board up and it was just like, I mean, first of all, he handed me a black box and said, here's all the film. Here's the transcripts. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> So it was really, it was just this huge labor of love, you know, I mean, it, it took a couple of years to come together, but it just, it just, it turned out really cool. And so it literally is, you know, your healing matters and how each one of us can contribute truly to the healing of this planet by starting with healing ourselves. So that was the opening line of, of the preview. Can you say why that is so true? Why our healing matters? And why it matters, uh, why it matters, but why it matters to for us to heal within and why that is such an impact to heal the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think, you know, for each one of us, it's like people always ask me, you know, my brand is a spark and they're like, what's the spark? And I'm like, well, that's that essential piece in each one of us. And we go through life circumstances or we have these negative beliefs or whatever we go through that kind of covers it up. And so the job is really to excavate that. And so we can be that in the world. And so I feel like we're these conduits for whatever you want to call it, you know, your higher power, spirit, to me, I call it the divine, um, whatever comes through us and can live as us. So our job is to make ourselves as clear of a conduit as possible because we get those cobwebs or like I said, we kind of can cover up what the essence of us is. And it's like, I think the world is really calling us to live in full expression of ourselves. And it's only when we can really be in that authentic place and learn how to live in this moment, you know, so we're like, we can deal with all of our kind of hardwired negativity bias in our brain and all that. We can learn that like, this is in this moment, you know, I, I remember when I was interviewing Bruce Lipton, I said to him and he was so cute. He started laughing. I'm like, yeah, I'm like the, you know, the power, you know, is in the present moment. And he said, Stephanie, that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> but, it, but it was true because um, I think w when we get there, you know, we realize we can only truly help each other as much as we have been healed. You know, and I can really speak to that as a therapist. I feel like, I mean, this is so long ago, but I remember when I used to work at the mental health center, this is like I'm 26 years old. Um, and my supervisor had asked me to come in and do co-therapy with a client of hers that had been sexually abused by her father. 
And the deal was she couldn't do the work alone because she hadn't done her healing work with her own sexual abuse from her father. And so, you know, I guess that was like one of those things that always stuck with me. It's like, we've got to continue to do our work. And so whatever way that is, you know, some people take shamanic journeys, some people go to therapy, some people connect with nature, they meditate, all those things, right? Yeah, so many different paths available to do our work. It's just Absolutely. One, right? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be someone else's formula. I think that's a piece too. It's like, you know, COVID taught us, like we are learning to go within, right? And so as we go within, we start saying, okay, if I can listen to that still voice inside of me or my higher self, I will get direction, you know, that, that you know, I call our inner GPS. We get our inner GPS that says like, yeah, this is, this is what I need to heal. And so then, then what's cool is you can start, you know, cultivating this relationship with yourself where it's like, okay, as I get triggered about something or as I notice something, I don't beat, you know, the crud out of myself. It's like, oh, my, my partner, he always says to me, if, if I notice a trigger, he's like, what a blessing. <laughs> I, I, used, I used to just like joke around and go like, oh, you know, but, but the truth is what I really was able to wrap my mind and heart around is it is a blessing because then it becomes like, oh, this is the awareness of the next layer right? That needs to be healed. And so that's, that's been so powerful. I love that. So you're a fellow social worker. How did you fall into the world of wanting to become a social worker, healer? How did you fall into this world in the first place? Yeah, great question. And so I have to tell you, like, I never thought, um, when I went into social work, it was literally the means, the, the quickest means I could think of. I knew I was going to get a master's because I wanted to go into private practice. That was always my goal, to be a licensed clinical social worker and, and psychotherapist. So, um, and I did. I mean, I just, actually, my first year of college was I went to art school in LA. Like I had to do like the rebel thing, go away, do all that. And then when I came back, um, you know, I, I was there a year. And then when I came back, I was speaking with one of my really good friends who was a professor at CSU in the psychology department. He's like, Stephanie, you're a natural, you know, and I know, I know the advisor in the social work department, go chat with her. And literally the rest was history. So yeah. So, I, I, you know, I, even though, gosh, my walk has taken me, you know, right away into like baptism by fire out of undergrad, I worked in an adolescent um, psychiatric unit in Aurora, Colorado, very, very hardcore customers. Um, I worked with developmentally disabled out of grad school. I ran the cognitive behavioral therapy program up at Southeast Mental Health, now Peak Wellness in Cheyenne for three years and then 10 years in the school district. So I kind of got to like deal with all of these different walks of life until the last almost now going on 16 years um, I've been in private practice. What gave you the courage? That was what you wanted in the first place. What gave you the courage to step into the world of private practice? Well, that's, that is a great question. So, so interestingly, um, it, as it often does, it came out of a tragedy and I had someone really, really close to me um, have three suicide attempts. 
and over the course of a year and a half. And it was on that last time, and thank God survived every time. And I, it impacted me so much that that last time there was this moment where I was actually on recess duty and it just hit me so hard that I was almost like brought to my knees. And I was like, wow, I want to start truly living what my dream is because I know, you know, these awful circumstances can happen. And so I was like, I don't want to just keep waiting. So I, I literally out of that time, um, I took a couple weeks off from school, kind of regrounded myself. And then when the new semester came in January, I started part-time private practice and part-time at the school. So that really, that was the catalyst for moving me into like this next phase of really living my dream. What have you learned about yourself in, in that journey? What are some of your biggest lessons that you've learned about yourself and the things that you've learned that you've been able to help teach others? Yeah, I, I think one of my biggest lessons, and, and I'm sure you as well, Troy, you know, we learn so much from our, our clients every day and, um, and also of life, you know, I think life has really continued or the universe continues to come back and say, um, this is a, this is a, a game, if you will, but this, this is a game about surrender. And so it's surrendering to the present moment. It's surrendering to what is. And I love Michael Singer, the guy who wrote, you know, The Untethered Soul. He also wrote this beautiful uh, book on surrender and these exercises on surrender. And he says, you know, suffering is when we want the present moment to be anything other than what it is. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is it. That is it. And again, kind of out of this hardship, and this was really something in the last five years that had just moved me into truly living the greatest part of my life. Um, and that was not this particular thing. I mean, this again was the catalyst. Um, my, my daughter had a 10 year struggle with drugs and alcohol. And there was this one night where I had just taken her into treatment. Thank God the last time she's been clean and sober for five years. <laughs> And, uh, and just thriving unbelievably. And at the time we were at, you know, crisis time. And so she, she went for 90 days to treatment and I had her two little boys at the time, three and four years old. And I talk about this in the movie when sparks ignite. So you'll, you'll see this because this was like this ultimate moment for me though, where, you know, I'm working full time in my private practice. I'm taking care of these little boys by myself. Um, my husband at the time was gone at a conference and I was really to the end of my being. You know, these little boys had just come out of a crazy situation. They were absolutely just undone. So I'm laying there with my last bit of energy, you know, rubbing their backs. I literally have my head on the nightstand, just rubbing each of their backs in those little twin beds. And I got in my room and I just, you know, I am not an angry person, but I was furious. I felt mad at God. I felt mad at my daughter. I felt mad at these circumstances. I had gone from like leading this jet set life with my husband at the time. And all of a sudden, you know, having two grandsons and dealing with you know, having no weekends because I'm taking them down to the treatment center to see their mom and 
you know, and, and that, I know that can sound really selfish, but it was my, my whole life turned upside down. Unexpectedly without unexpectedly, very unexpectedly. And so, um, but at that moment, it was so interesting. I mean, it, it was one of a few times again, where I hit my knees and I was just like, I can't do this. I can't do it anymore. I can't fix anything. I can't make anyone heal. I can't control the situation. And it was like, it was so interesting. I mean, I just kept hearing this, just surrender, surrender, surrender. And literally, as I started to really do that, and not just intellectualize it, but really embody that through my being, I woke up, first of all, I slept the best I had in months. (laughs) And I woke up and it was like, nothing from that point on has been the same in my life. And miracles just started showing up one after the other. And so it's one of the things I really teach my clients, whether it's a coaching client or, or someone that comes to see me for therapy, that it's not about saying, okay, I'm a doormat, or I love that I, you know, I'm having this cancer experience, but it's about when we don't resist it and we don't have all that angst, which amplifies the negative, then we can really come into this place of peace. And that we realize like this mind and this, you know, small version of me can only see so far of how to deal with this. And when I surrender it to something so much larger than I am, that's when I make room for the miracles to happen. And that's where transformation happens. You've seen it and I've seen it. Uh, We've both experienced that. And yet there's such resistance to do that. That's the work that you do. It sounds like it's very similar to the work that I do in trying to help people tap into that spark, tap into that light. What do you think the resistance is all about? Yeah, great question. I um, One of the things that I want to say first is that I do think it has to be a daily practice. Like we can't just have the one aha experience and go like, oh, you know, life is good. <laughs> Right. So it really is a daily practice. It's what I do first thing in the morning, every morning. I have one hand on my heart, one on my gut. I'm not even out of bed. And I'm like surrendering to the day, to that higher divine mind. Um, you know, I think interestingly, so our resistance, as, as I'm sure you well know, Troy, too, is it can be around our limiting beliefs. And sometimes we, we feel like we don't even deserve happiness or we don't deserve to feel so relaxed or you know, we, we can get really addicted also to these external programs for happiness. And so we're constantly reaching or grasping for something outside of us that we think is going to make us feel better. And in the end, it's always, it's an inside job. Some people don't believe that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure they don't. And and I imagine that they continue then to struggle with that dynamic, right? Um, and the thing is, as anything in our life, we didn't just get to the point we're at right now. Most of us, we didn't just go snap our fingers and we're in struggle or snap our fingers and we're phenomenal, right? So whether it's a belief or whether it's a behavior, it took time to cultivate that. It was, you know, through repetition that we learned everything. Like we learned to tie our shoes, you know, what we do now automatically. And so I, you know, I always invite people to, okay, you don't have to believe this. I'll just believe it for you. I'll hold that belief for you. And, and if you'd be willing 
for like 30 days. As we know, it takes 21 to 30 days to start changing and hardwiring these new ways of thinking, these new ways of behaving and being in the world. So I, I, I love challenging my clients. Like, let's do a 30-day challenge. And we're just going to, you know, if you think of yourself as a computer, let's download as many positive programs as possible and see what happens. If you're just willing to, you know, play with me, don't, we don't have to make it too serious. Let's just see. It's scientific experiment. And our hypothesis is I can actually affect how I'm feeling. I can actually start cultivating and growing a relationship with myself where I truly show up and befriend myself for the first time. Have you, what's happened? Uh, maybe you can share a story of somebody who accepted that challenge and tried it. What was the outcome? Yeah, I love that. I have a perfect example when you say that. What, what comes to mind is a woman who had been in a relationship with a gentleman who had bipolar and was unmedicated. So he would have fits of anger at times and had been really not physically abusive, but very, very emotionally and verbally abusive. And she had ended that 14 year marriage and hadn't been single for like 16 years. And she's like, I don't know how to be in the world. I don't know how to date. I don't know how to, you know, really struggling with self-esteem and how to do it. So we decided, you know, for her, the important piece was going to be to cultivate courage. And so one of the ways we talked about that, you know, we, we did some hard wiring where we did visualization and then used, as we do an EMDR, we use like bilateral stimulation, which activates left brain, right brain. And so we practiced, we did these EMDR enhancements of being courageous and what that feels like and what it looks like to walk into a situation and to kind of have your shoulders back, hold your head up and have that knowingness in your heart. Like I'm enough. I'm okay. Cause she would say like, I just don't feel like I have anything interesting to say or to share. And so, so we practiced that, like what it would be. And so then our, our hypothesis, when we decided, okay, let's just totally take the pressure off. Let's do this one event. She had this social event coming up. And I said, let's just do this as a scientific experiment. And so we decided the three reactions she could get if she walked in and she was confident and engaged people in conversation was number one, negative. People wouldn't talk to her, walk away. Two would be neutral. They would greet her, but not really engage in conversation. And three would be, of course, they would be like, hi, you know, great to meet you and continue the conversation. Well, it was so great. She, and, and the hypothesis being, if I do engage, in conversation and I am courageous, I will connect with people at a much deeper level, I'll really start connecting. And she came back the next week and it was so awesome. She said at one point during this party she was at, she was standing in a doorway and there were two men vying for her attention. And she was just like, that's it. You know, like I knew in that moment, like, wow, I can do this. And, and so we said, you know, try on, being courageous, trying on courage, just like you would a new outfit. You know, you're practicing. And we had practiced it over and over again in her mind. So it felt real to her. And so she was truly able to put it on and then have success at that party. That's beautiful, beautiful ex example. Uh, I often tell people that if you don't believe that positive statement that you're trying to say, then we just add a couple of words to it in front of that. So I'm worthy of love and belonging, for example. And if 
you don't believe that yet, we add on a couple of words. Even though I don't believe that I'm worthy of love and belonging yet, I'm willing to lean into the possibility that it might be true. And that's what you were sharing and having her practices. Even though I don't believe that people might be interested in me, I'm willing to lean into it. I'm going to visualize that it might be. And then she found out, oh my goodness, it really is. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. When did you start to cultivate this idea of the spark within? Yeah, so I think that really started happening right after that major surrender I told you about. And that right after that, literally two weeks later, I'm sitting in my office and I'm sitting there thinking, gosh, you know, I had been on a local radio show a couple of times and I had so much fun that I was thinking, how do I get into radio? You know, how do I, how do I do this? And literally, I mean, not three minutes later, there's a knock on my door and in comes who ended up being my producer. Um, but this friend of a friend who came in and he sits down and he looks at me and he says, have you ever thought of doing your own radio show? And I was so excited. He said, I almost came out of my chair. I'm like clapping my hands, you know, just like, oh my God, I was just thinking about this. And so and then we had to come up with a name. And so again, as happens for me so often, it was the middle of the night in a dream and the spark igniting your best life. I could just see it on a, on a t-shirt and that light, you know, and I, and I truly have believed that that essence in all of us, it's always there, you know, and I know that even for myself, I lived that way as a kiddo, well, literally like the first 13 years of my life just thinking like, I love everybody and doesn't everyone love me? And isn't this what life is supposed to be? And and then going through my own struggles and trauma and different things and having to come back to that. You know, so I, I, I speak to it because it's been my own experience and I see it in others, you know, as I'm sure you do, that are sitting across from you, even when they don't see it in themselves. So you know, and I'm always reminded there's a great, great book. It's a children's book called Little Miss Squarehead that I used to read to all of my elementary school kiddos. And it's written by a little person. And what she shares, I think, is so amazing because this, the character in the book every day goes to this brook and the brook gives her these different, you know, qualities, magical qualities, caring, compassion, and, and courage. And at the end, she's able to magically see that everyone has a diamond sparkling heart. And to me, you know, it's, it, and it's so beautifully illustrated. I wish I could remember the author's name. It's an awesome, awesome book. And that story has always stuck with me because we all do have that. So whether you call it your diamond sparkling heart or your spark, it is the essence that is us. You know, I feel like that's the part of us that's, it's, it's not born, it never dies, it continually exists, and nothing can blow it out. People struggle to believe that, too. Uh, people struggle to believe me when I, I, when I tell them about their light inside. And off, I, I repeat this oftentimes. I say, what is it going to take for you to believe me when I tell you there is a light that is so bright inside of you? And they look at me like I have three eyes or something, uh, but uh, you can see it and I can see it. Um, and what we're hoping is to help them see it. 
what are what is one of the ways that you help people see it? One of the ways that I help people see it is to do a body mindfulness in the moment where I love this exercise so much, where I have them come into their heart space and they might start by just taking some nice deep breaths, but coming into their heart space and first of all, having them really visualize a time when they had someone be just really loving to them. And it could be an animal, you know, it, it, it could be a teacher, it doesn't have to be a family member, but just that feeling of like, wow, someone sees me and and I'm feeling cared about, you know, and loved. And so really soaking that in and noticing all of the different senses that come with that. And the second piece of that is then imagining what that felt like to give to someone where you gave out that unconditional love and really experiencing that. Like, what did the person's face look like? What was it like to give it? What was it like to watch that person receive it or the animal receive it? And then I have them send out that same radiance of love. And it's like they're catching it in their own hand and it circles back right back into their very heart. And so starting there and focusing on it first, just sending love to the parts of ourselves that we feel are lovable. So this might be, you know, I've got a great sense of humor or I'm really good with animals or, you know, I, I enjoy nature, whatever the parts are, you know, maybe I love my blue eyes or, you know, who, who knows what, what it is that you can extend love to. And then the last part of that is I invite them to bring in whatever that source is for them, whatever that higher power. I mean, again, it could be nature. It could be, you know, the divine source, God, whatever people feel that that is for them and bring in that quality of unconditional love. And through that, I have them bring it right up through their skull into their heart. And from there, extending that love. So it's holding those parts that don't yet feel lovable. And very close to what you said, Troy, I really was resonating with that. You know, I, I invite them to say, you know, I am willing to grow in love with the parts of myself I don't yet feel in love with. Thank you. So that that's one of the ways I help people start to, to I mean, because it's just little by little, you know, we don't just say, I'd like to be my own best friend and boom, you know, there we are. I, you know, 33 years in the personal growth field, you know, in mental health field, we know it's not that easy. And it's like the most noble and important journey we can be on. Some people think that that's selfish. What would you say to that? I hear that all the time. And I, and I, I hate to be cliche, but it truly goes back to that put on your own oxygen mask first on the plane. You, you think you're being so giving, but the truth is we can only give what we have in reserve. So if you want to truly be in service, you have to allow yourself to be priority in your own life and let go of these old worn out narratives that that's not okay. Self-care is absolutely essential. And when we do that, and again, this isn't with my own children, my grandchildren, my partner, like I show up so much, like I'm, I'm clear headed, I'm open hearted, I have energy when I take care of me, when I'm eating right, I'm exercising, I'm meditating, 
you know, I do those things I need to do to start my day out in a way where I'm like, wow, I've really primed myself to show up and be present with others. So yeah, I think that's, that's what I would tell people that it's actually the least selfish act you can do. Cause you're robbing people right now from the full expression of you. Right. They don't get to have all of your light. That's right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's so beautiful. I have a list of questions that I ask the majority of my guests. So can I ask them to you? Of course. What is one thing about you that surprises me? Wow. What is what surprises people? Oh gosh. That's really a good question. <laughs> I don't know, Troy. I what surprises people about me? I don't maybe that, you know. I think that I really, you know, so not that I believe in astrology necessarily, but you know, I'm a Gemini and people go, Oh, well, Geminis have two sides. And I think for me, that's, I I have a very serious workaholic side and I don't know if that surprises people, but to know, like, you know, and I also have a very, very playful side. Like I'm also the person who will break out in a spontaneous dance party, you know, at father's day in the kitchen with all my cousins. (laughs) and my parents. So um, I think for people that don't know me, that would be surprising. People that know me know that it's it's the full package. Awesome. We've all faced a major decision in our lives that has resulted in us. I always have to repeat this one. <laughs> We've all faced a major decision in our lives that has resulted in us choosing to take a left turn instead of going right. When were you faced with such a dilemma and how did it work out? Totally have the example of this. This would be back in 1992, I would have to say. I think it was 1992. And 1992, yep. And I was up in, my aunt had this beautiful home up in Eagle Vale. And so I always got to go with all my friends and if, if it was available, we'd all go up there and ski and hang out. And she owned this place for 15 years. I mean, it was such a gift. It slept 14 people comfortably. Um, so I was up there. I, I was working in Denver at that psychiatric hospital at the time. And I went up there and we packed the place. I mean, I had friends from high school and college and my Denver friends. And we just ha- were having a blast. And on the last night there, I'll never forget because... Um, it was almost the middle of January and two weeks later, I was going to renew my lease in Denver and it it was just kind of this whole time. So it was January 14th. I'm not a big person with dates, but this one always sticks in my mind. And as we went to bed, so this was January 13th when we went to bed, I'm, I had uh, my girlfriend Elle in the same room as me and I just started crying. She's like, what's going on? I mean, I was really just tearing up. And I said, I don't know what's coming through over and over again is that I need to leave Denver and move back to Fort Collins. And she was like, why? Why in the world would you do that? Because you are the only one on the therapy staff right now that's not master's level. You've got your best friends here. You know, that doesn't make sense. I said, I don't know. It's like the most intuitive hit I've ever had. And I just feel like I need to listen to that voice and I need to go. 
And, and there was no really rhyme or reason other than that voice. And the next morning I woke up. So this is on the 14th. And I called my mom and I said, mom, I don't know what's going on. She lived in Fort Collins still. And I said, I just need to move back. She goes, well, ironically, she said the, the gentleman had given us 30 days notice that lived in their other rental home. And she said, so what's available February 1st? And I said, well, this is perfect. I won't renew my lease. When I go to work tomorrow, I will give my two weeks notice and I'm moving back. So lo and behold, I do all this, not even really know why I'm being driven. And I get back there and like three weeks after moving to Fort Collins to the day, the adolescent unit that I worked on was closed. And all of my girlfriends, I had five girlfriends, or there were five of us all together. Everyone was laid off. That adolescent unit did not reopen. And this was back before managed care. So we had scouts at the time that would go out and get kickbacks, like $5,000 kickbacks for bringing kids into treatment, which is not legal. So the front page of the newspaper, the Rocky Mountain News had said, you know, psychiatric abuse is charged. And so that whole unit was shut down. So it was truly a godsend. And I mean, I had a job right away. I was a single mom at the time. I would have been in the worst situation having just signed another lease and not having a job. So a little little divine guidance on that one. That is amazing. It's one of those uh, untethered soul experiences right there. Definitely. What book are you reading right now? I am listening for the second time to Letting Go um, by David Hawkins, which is a, a book about surrender. And I've been reading when I can. Things have been so busy right now, um, you know, with the film and book and um, with my other project, my new film and uh, event being shot this weekend. So I, uh, what's that? You're making another one. Yeah, yes. We have a six-part series, uh, Becoming Fierce, which will be out on Flex Network. So Anadera and the Film Nest and... 20 participants and seven thought leaders from around the world are coming together for this incredible women's empowerment retreat this weekend. Oh, you've been kind of busy. I, I have been really busy, but um, the the other book that um, I have loved is, um, I don't know why I don't have the name right. It's Laura Davis's new book. Laura Davis, who wrote The Courage to Heal, her, her new book is a memoir about she and her mother's relationship. And it's something about, mm, I hate to mess it up. Anyway, um, if you go on Laura Davis <laughs> on Amazon, her new book, it's something about the light between two stars or something like that. It is phenomenal. I read more than one book at the same time, too, so I'm, I'm glad I'm not alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you were going to spend the rest of your life on an island and could only bring one item of personal meaning, what would it be? My partner. Awesome. <laughs> Why would you bring your partner? What would it be about your partner? Um, yeah, Morgan and I just have this unbelievable um, connection and relationship where it's, you know, it's, it's kind of what you always hear about where if we're connected on so many different levels, you know, it's spiritual friendship business. I mean, we really, gosh, I mean, we were always brainstorming together and 
helping each other overcome hurdles in whether it's just thoughts or where we feel stuck in our business. Um, and we are just, and also we are truly very best friends. I mean, he brings, he used to be a stand-up comedian. Um, he's a chiropractor and a shamanic practitioner and, um, and also a high performance coach and speaker. So we have a lot of overlap, you know, we have a lot of overlap and we'll get into bed and I literally cannot go to sleep for like an hour because we're like just laughing until my guts hurt. And so that's a reoccurring theme in our relationship. And so, you know, I just, I don't have my head in the clouds with him, you know, by any means it's, you know, it's been well over two years that we've been together and it's the best partnership ever. So if I was on that deserted island, I would want him there with me. Uh, I wouldn't blame you. Sounds amazing. What's a daily practice you must do every day? Um, I have to do that surrender process in the morning. And the other practice for me that is just like deeply grounding is to go out into the backyard and put my bare feet on the earth. And I literally put my hands up to the sky and just soak it in and just really close my eyes and listen. I feel the breeze. I hear the birds. Sometimes the crickets are still out. Um, and I just remember that I'm connected to this whole incredible thing that it's so much bigger than me, you know, and what a beautiful blessing to be able to be alive for another day and to be a part of it. So th those are my, you know, must do go to's every day. I can see why those would be so important. So beautiful. What's one question that you wish that I had asked you and how would you have answered? Hmm. Well, gosh, I, I guess um, maybe, well, asking me about maybe my new book coming out, um, which has been such a joy and again, just an absolute download. I, I always say, I feel like I just showed up at the keyboard. Um, it's coming out the middle of July to everyone, but I get it. Um, I get 50 copies sent to me on Thursday. So I'm really excited. What's the name of it? It's called Becoming Fierce. And the foreword was written by my friend and amazing cohort, Natalie Ledwell who's done so much work with Joe Dispenza and her mind movies, which are so transformational. And she's actually going to be one of the presenters at my Becoming Fierce event. And so it just kind of takes the spark and goes to a much deeper level and how we're really called right now to be fierce in this world and, and fierce really being not aggressive, not overpowering, it's like, how do we live, to, you know, in where we are fully embodying that which we've been talking about, our true essence, our true spark and showing up fully in the world and full expression of ourselves, because that's what the world needs most right now. Not a shrunken version of us, but our fiercest, most loving, passionate and purposeful version of us. A buddy of mine, his mom would always tell him how much she loved him fiercely and I love that expression and it, I love that too I love that 
that got etched in my memory. Um, I love you fiercely. Oh, mm. beautiful way of saying that. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to look forward to getting your book when it comes out. So, and awesome. put links to that in the show notes as well. What does finding peace mean to you? Hmm. You know, the first word that came to me, Troy, was balance. And really finding balance. As I said, I can tend to be a little bit of a workaholic. And so can my partner. So we can really sometimes give ourselves permission to just keep working when what we need to do is go take a walk around the lake. Or we need to go just drop into meditation. Or just go play. You know, we've, we've had really fun dates lately where we literally are like, let's go bowling and play arcade games and just be kids, <laughs> you know? And, and so that is so fun. Um, I think that that's, that's the balance that we're both striving for. And for me personally, I think that is, to me, that's peace. It's, it's being in the present moment of those things and continuing to find that balance so that I can continue to show up truly is that, you know, replenished best version of myself for others. Beautifully said. Stephanie, where can people find you? They can go to my website, which is stephaniejames.world. And on there, I have all the events. There's a trailer for the film. There's all kinds of links to my events and books and I'd love to have you contact me. You know, I'd love to be in service to anyone who feels that calling. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you so much for your light, your spark that is not really a spark. It's more like a ginormous flame bonfire <laughs> over there. But thank you so much for letting me see it and hanging out with me for a little while today. I really appreciate it. Oh, Troy, thank you. I just reflect that back to you. What a, what a joy you are and what an amazing light. Thank you so much for having me on the show and love spending this time with you. You've been listening to the Finding Peace podcast. If you love the show or want to ask a question, let us know by going to findingpeaceconsulting.com. There, you can also learn about the Finding Peace five-day challenge. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the next episode. And if you are listening on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating. It really does help other people find this podcast more easily. Thank you for spending part of your journey with us. And a special thanks to Johnny Porter for producing the show and A.G. Flux for the new background music. Copyright Finding Peace Consulting.